If you would like to borrow a Bible, would you please raise your hand and our ushers will bring a Bible to you so that you can follow along with us in our text today. So if you want to borrow a Bible, just raise your hand. Quick reminder and heads up to those of you who are coming to our membership meeting on Sunday. It's going to be at Second Baptist. That's the church over here by Evanson Athletic Club, close to La Peep Restaurants. Just, just make that a mental note in your head. The one by Evanston Athletic Club this Saturday at, at 9.30. Well, as I showed you on that video about three weeks ago, um, that's when I got back from Africa. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to move, to move on with my life, all right? You know, you know how it is? You, you, you go on these short-term mission trips, and then you get all pumped up, and then you, you get back in the routine of life, uh, and, you, and you just kind of forget all that, was, that God was teaching you. And... I just hope that happens to me. Are you listening? I hope that happens to me so I can just move on with my life. No, that's not what I hope happens to me. I don't want that to happen to me. Don't you hate it when it happens to you? You come back and you're all pumped up. You're like, God is just teaching me stuff. And I want to stay in that kind of that, that moldable spot where God can just, just keep talking and teaching me and, and Holy Spirit leading me. And I know that's what you want. I me. Mean, when I was there, I saw so much suffering and yet I saw so much joy and the suffering like how do those two go together? And like, what's God doing here to me? And I just, my prayer this morning, this week, is that God would just speak to you and kind of put you in this moldable, malleable place in your own life where you're just so sensitive to him. And he, he's starting to, to, to move in your life. And in this new year, he's speaking to you through his word. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you and stirring you up. And that's, that's what I want to see happen to us this morning. So as we dive into his word, may we open to what the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do in our lives. So let's, let's turn to the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew right now. And we've come to the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> which we introduced last week. And we're in Matthew chapter 5 today. So let's stand and read the first part of Matthew 5, verses 1 through 10. This is the Beatitudes. <clears throat> Start in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. These Beatitudes have been called like a, a preamble or a pocket guide to the whole Sermon on the Mount. These little small concise statements pretty much could, could wrap the Sermon on the Mount up in a, in a summary form so that we can just keep these in mind as we go through the Sermon on the Mount over the next few months. If you notice, each beatitude begins with the word blessed, which is probably the best translation of, uh, of beatitude. And beatitude comes from a transliteration of a Latin word. And you wonder, it's like, okay, blessed, 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 on and on and on. And the one who is giving the blessing, and obviously the context is, God is the one who is giving the blessing as he approves and pleases um, of, a, of a human being. 
But what may surprise you through these Beatitudes is the person he is blessing. And this is what's set up in the whole context of the sermon, is that God is blessing, approving, congratulating, affirming, not the super spiritual people, like the Pharisees and the scribes. He's, he's approving, he's pleased with the spiritually broken. And we'll see throughout this whole sermon these arrogant uh, Pharisees who are going through religious motions of doing religion, but their hearts are far from God. And in contrast, what we're going to see is a spiritually broken actually get God's favor and, and mercy. Now, as we go through these Beatitudes, I really want to make sure you understand that these are not laws here. These are not like the new Ten Commandments or the, the commands that you need to o- obey to somehow sneak into the kingdom if you're lucky, right? It's not what the, these are characteristics of those who are already in the kingdom. The first beatitude starts out with the concept of kingdom. The last beatitude ends with the concept of kingdom. And in between, all of these are descriptions and characteristics of those who are already in the kingdom by grace. It's addressed to believers. It's addressed to you who are followers of Jesus Christ. And it's showing that as you come through these, don't think, oh, no, I, these are such high ideals, and I just need to strive after them to make my spiritual life better. But really, you need to understand, these are just descriptions of how God is already working in your life, how he's, how he's already rescuing you, how he's already redeeming you, how he's already molding you and shaping you into his image. So as we come to these, these characteristics of those who are believers, the internal and external characteristics, May it excite us that, wow, God is doing something in me that I could never produce in myself, and it's coming out in the way I live my life that's going on internally. God is doing a work. So it's a description of those who are blessed in the kingdom, those who are followers of Jesus. But at some point, as you're going through these today, and you notice that you're a bit convicted that God is stirring you up on each uh, beatitude, don't, don't, don't use that to, to make you think that, oh, no, I, I'm not saved. I don't know Jesus. May, may you just use it like, oh, this is God's getting my attention. He's, he's doing a work of grace in my life right now, getting my attention, showing me where I've strayed, convicting me, offering me grace and forgiveness so that I can continue to walk in his kingdom norms. So these are wonderful. These are just wonderful. So let's just jump in, plow through them, start in verse 1. Seeing the crowds... He, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So the crowd's there. But he's primarily addressing his disciples. He's speaking to them what it, what it means to follow him. He's teaching them, but the crowd is there. And so I, I think he's enticing the crowd as well. He's kind of drawing them in to be curious, to enter the kingdom as well through grace. And then he jumps into the Beatitudes, the summary. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what it means to be poor in spirit. There's a similar sermon he gives in the book of Luke. Uh, In the book of Luke, uh, see, it's in Luke 6.20. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And maybe an interpretation you thought, well, all the poor people in the world are blessed. All of them are getting into heaven. It's great. If you're poor, you're going to heaven. That's not what he's talking about. In that context in Luke, he's talking about his followers who are poor in contrast to the rich, well-off spiritual leaders of the day. But in our context here, let's stick with our context here. 
he says, poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it could include, you know, being poor financially, but mainly has to do with your poverty of spirit. And specifically, it means when we say poor in spirit, it means it's a person who is totally dependent upon God. For those of you who are in the kingdom, you realize that your life, apart from God, there is, there is no hope. So if not, God does not come through in your life, then, then that's it. You're, you're absolutely, you have no resources on your own. You're empty without, without meaning and purpose in life, without hope in this world, if God does not come through for you. And he says specifically, those who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Which means that you are now under the reign of God in Christ. And that's something that's spiritually happening now and will happen physically later at his second coming. But for those of you who realize that apart from Christ, apart from God intervening in your life, you have no hope. You're one of those guys and girls that welcomes the reign of God in Christ over your life and you submit to his reign. Because apart from him, you have nothing. A lot of the Beatitudes are rooted in the Old Testament. And if we could go through each Beatitude, we could see an Old Testament link to almost every one of them. We don't have time to do that, but I want to share one Old Testament link with you. And it comes from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 61. Let me read this to you what it says, Isaiah 61.1. If those of you are familiar with the Bible, Jesus actually quotes this in Luke 4.18. Let me read it to you. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now the context in Isaiah chapter 61 is that God is going to intervene and restore his repentant people. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, right? He quotes Isaiah 61... And then he says, all right, now you've seen it fulfilled. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Who is the intervention of God? Jesus is the intervention of God. He has the one who has intervened in our lives, in our brokenness, and he's not come to save the spiritually rich, but he's come to save those who are broken and who realize their need and that apart from God, they have nothing. And I think it's very important for us to stay in this place of brokenness. We have fullness in Christ, but we want to live in a place where apart from him, we can do nothing, we have nothing, we have no hope. We need to stay in a place of brokenness. A common sight that I saw uh, while I was in Ethiopia is that there were people all over the place just, just lying on the side of the road. I just... Someone told me that when they were there years ago, they, those, they just saw a lot of dead people lying there. But I didn't think they were, they were dead, but they were just people lying everywhere. It looks like someone just threw them out of the car, and they just landed. And they were just, just kind of motionless, and some of them were moving around a little bit. And, and, and one day, as I was going along, we were in this van, and I, and I look on the side of the road, and, and no joke. I mean, this is kind of an urban area, just people everywhere. There was a guy on the side of the road. He, he was totally naked. Like, no joke, just totally naked. And, I was, and I, I've not seen that before in America, but I saw him there, and, and I thought to myself two things. First, I thought, 
how did he end up like that? Like, what, what circumstances had to happen for him to end up like that? But then the, the next thought that hit me was I started to panic inside for him because I thought to myself, what do you do next? I mean, like, what's your next move? It's not like he has a little, little hut over here or anything. He's just nothing, nothing. I'm like, it's, it's not like he can go to a shelter. It's not like he has a lot of really good options to turn to. Like, what do you do next? And, and, and I, was, I was thinking about that guy. I was thinking about, spiritually speaking, that's you. That's me. Like, we really have nothing. And, and, and I, I even panic a lot for people who don't know Christ. I mean, like, what's your next move? Where's, where are you going to find hope next? Because apart from Christ, just, we're, we're just bankrupt. And so we praise God for the intervention of his kingdom and his reign in Christ Jesus, where we are blessed, the poor in spirit. He continues on. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those under the reign of God in Christ mourn. I mean, we don't walk, or walk around with this big mopey face all the time, but we are realists, and Christians realize that there is sin in this world, and sin causes pain. It causes pain in us. It causes pain in our world. And for starters, I think part of the morning is realizing that we all are deep sinners. And once we start to realize the depth of our own sin, then it should create more and more mourning within us. We don't want to get to a point where we go, you know what, I just want to put up with my sin. We want to get to the point where we do not put up with it, but that we grieve over it. You see, our, our own personal sin should really disturb us. It should bother us to the point where we want to repent, be broken, mourn, and grieve over it. But it's not like the world may grieve over their sin. Like, uh, let's say someone who doesn't know Jesus gets, gets busted in adultery, gets busted, uh, I don't know, something terrible. We do not want to grieve as the world does because the world would grieve in the fact that they got busted or the circumstances after they got busted. And you would see this remorse, but we want this brokenness, this remorse, this grief, this mourning, mourning that leads to change. Are you tracking with me for those of you who claim to be Christians? I, I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of being uh, in groups where it's cool for Christians to confess sin and then move on to the next week and confess it again and then move on to the next week and confess it again and you think to yourself, um, do you, are you even sad? Are you grieving over your sin at all? Or is this like a little support group where we can just say, man, I, I blew it again and I don't really care? I mean, there's a point where we, gotta, we want to share things, but it's got to be, look, I am mourning over my sin, and God's going to work in me, and it's going to change, and I'm going to still struggle a little bit, but I'm going to be moving toward change. Or is it going to be like, I'm just going to talk about it, and I'm going to feel good that I, that I went and said my little confession and go on with my sin. Do you, are you seeing the distinction here between worldly grief and godly grief? 
Godly grief leads to repentance that leads to change by the grace of God. Blessed are those who mourn, not just over your own sin, but blessed are those who mourn over this brokenness in the world, the sin in the world. Christians do not deny the reality of pain and suffering. One of my favorite books that I would recommend everyone get, but probably few of you will get. It's okay. It's a big one. It's about that big. It's about that big. It's a good one, though. And it's not something you read through one night. You read through it over like five years. It's called, it's called Operation World. And this book, Operation you heard that book? Heard it? Yeah? So you heard it? It describes every country in the world, every country, and the small, dinky ones, and it describes the spiritual state, the spiritual needs, and the physical needs of each country so that you can pray each, each day for those who are suffering around the world. So I, I'm just, let me just share with you three countries that come from the letter B. I could have picked any letter. I'd go on forever. But the letter B, just kind of the things that are suffering in these countries. Like, like for example, Brazil. Brazil has 7 million child laborers and 600,000 young girls involved in prostitution. That should grieve us. Uh, Botswana. In Africa, has the second highest prevalence of AIDS and 100,000 AIDS orphans. Is that possible? And in Bahrain, over 90% of the population is perishing without Christ. That should grieve us. We should mourn. We don't, we don't want to say, okay, Christian, think happy thoughts. It should cause us to mourn and be broken over the sin in this world. But what is the promise of the beatitude? Those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So those under the reign of God in Christ, when they are broken over their sin, they receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ who has come and lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, died on the cross, we couldn't die, was buried, rose again. He's now ascended and reigning in heaven and we are forgiven. Those who repent and are broken over the sin are forgiven. We'll be comforted. We see receive comfort now. But there's also a comfort that comes to us knowing that this world is soon to wrap up, that we will not suffer forever the brokenness will not be here forever. There will be a renewal at the second coming of Christ. And so we are people who are not without hope. And even in that, we receive comfort now. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And the next is, says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, what is that? What is meek? I mean, I, people don't call call each other meek. I don't hear that much. It basically means those who are humble before God and others. And it doesn't have to do with weakness. Meekness is not weakness. If meekness is weakness, then we have two of the most famous characters in the Bible pretty weak and they're not weak. You know, the most meekest man on earth at his time was Moses. And Jesus is also our Lord who is gentle and humble in heart. And did you know that the meekness of Christ and the meekness of Moses is displayed often when they're suffering? 
the verse that talks about Moses being the meekest man on earth came under a context where he was under opposition from those closest to him. And Jesus Christ, as he was dealing with opposition throughout his life and responded with humility and meekness, and as he is approaching his cross, what is he doing? He is displaying humility and meekness. And it's supposed to be characteristic of us. Those of us who are in the kingdom, under the reign of God in Christ, we are to display meekness. And it says in here that the promise is, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I, 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 don't, I, I just don't get that. Do you? Like, what's the, what's the connection between humility and land inheritance? You ever wonder that? Like, how, how do those two come together? Well, during Jesus' time, he has all these people following him. And you know they're Jews, right? And they're under the oppression of Rome. So they are being, their land is occupied by Romans. And I'm sure the, 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 the common thought is it would be great if we could overthrow these Romans by military force and gain our land back. A lot of the zealots and people like them thought along those lines. But, but Jesus says, no, no. The meek will inherit the land. Those who are not attempting to strike back, but the humble get the earth. And you're like, well, when, when are we going to get the earth? Well, when Christ comes back, those who are in him will reign with him, and there will be inheritance of this earth with Christ as we reign with him. That is a future reigning that is going to take place. And so in the meantime, this is what God's calling us to do. I, I'm, I'm dead serious. This is what God's calling us to do. This is why Jesus is so radical. He's saying, don't grab for your rights. Don't fight for your rights. But operate under control and the reign of the king. So when you start to get pressure on you, what you want to see come out is Humility. Because you know, okay, God is in control. He is sovereign over my life. One day I am going to, to reign with him. And so I'm going to fall in the footsteps of our humble leader who showed us the way to the cross. He showed us the way to reigning is not one of force, but is one of humility. And if you think, well, Christians are just a bunch of pushovers and, and they're really, really weak. Uh-uh. We will fight for the rights of the poor. We will fight for the rights of the oppressed. We will fight injustice, but we just won't fight for ourselves. Do you believe that? You think, where does that come from in the Bible? If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with him two miles. That's humility. That's meekness. That's the words of Jesus. Those who humble themselves under the reign of the king will soon reign with him one day and inherit the earth. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. 
Now, the word righteousness is used different ways in the Bible. I can talk about being clothed in the righteousness of Christ or seeking the sense of justice and righteousness on this earth. But in the context here, the righteousness involved has to do with obedience to God's will. Think about Jesus in John 4.34 where he said, He said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And a few weeks ago, we saw Jesus responding to Satan's temptation by saying in Matthew 4, 4, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the concept is, just like we would have this physical hunger, we would have thirst for something to drink, we should have this hunger and thirst to do God's will. And that's the blessed life. It's the life that God approves. It's a life where those who are blessed to pursue his will. And notice that it says here in verse 6 that those who are hungering, thirsting after his will, they shall be satisfied. What I like about this is it's not that we fulfill God's will in this detached way where we just do our duty, but we pursue it in a way where we're seeking this fulfilling relationship with him. It makes all the difference in the world how you view your concept of obeying God. If you think to yourself, okay, God has told me that I need to stay pure and I need to help the poor, so I better just go and do it because God says it. That, that is not what we're talking about in a biblical relationship with God. We're thinking about obeying God because we have a relationship with him. We should be like, I cannot wait to do God's will. I I am hungering and thirsting after doing his will because I know that in doing his will, I will be satisfied. So we do not disconnect obedience from the relationship. We don't disconnect obedience from joy. We pursue the will of God and we hunger and thirst for his righteousness because in it is satisfaction in God. So the poor in spirit, the mourn, the meek, hungering, thirsting for righteousness. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So those who operate in the kingdom operate in mercy. And you know why those who operate in the kingdom operate in mercy? Because you realize how much you are in need of mercy. When you don't forgive someone else, you're missing the point that you need so much more forgiveness than they do. When we show compassion to others, when we help those who are suffering emotionally or physically, we realize we need mercy. And as we receive mercy from God, it spills out of us to show mercy. And as we realize our need for more and more mercy, we can demonstrate more and more mercy. The question is asked often, if God is such a merciful God, then how come there is so much suffering in the world? Maybe you've asked that question yourself. If he's merciful, why do we have so much pain and suffering? Why doesn't he alleviate all of it? And there's a certain way theologically that you can answer it here and there and there. But one of the ways to think through it is that God is going to alleviate suffering in this world through you, who are his hands and his feet, because his heart is a heart of mercy. And as you move out with a heart of mercy, realizing your need for mercy, 
then you can demonstrate mercy. As he's poured mercy into you, you can now spill it over to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, this is, this is good because you know the, the context, once again, is these arrogant religious leaders who think they're so super spiritual. And so Jesus says, you know what? Let's go after the heart. Let's talk about what's going inside of you because what's going inside of you should spill out onto the outside of you. And so God knows our heart and he is giving us a pure heart in Christ and he's continuing to purify our hearts. And those who walk in purity of heart... It says they shall see God. It's a spiritual seeing now, and it's going to be a face-to-face seeing later. I think there is much wisdom in continually examining your heart and seeing where you're at, seeing what's going on inside, because if you're like me, there's always new surprises going on in your heart. It is amazing to me how the sins I dealt with 10 years ago can sometimes crop up again, yeah? And it's also amazing to me how new sins can crop up in my mind and heart. I'm like, where did that come from? I've never thought that before. I mean, just recently, I, 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 in fact, it was this week, I was, I was starting to compare myself to, to some other people, and I was thinking, you know, I'm a lot more spiritual than them. It's like, where does that come from? That's just, we've got to be examining our hearts and saying, Lord, what is going on? Let me throw out some questions for you, some heart-examining questions that I think may be helpful. They come from a, a professor, uh, Dr. Carson. This is really good. He says, what do you think about when your mind slips into neutral? That's scary. How much sympathy do you have for deception, no matter how skillful, for shady humor, no matter how funny? To what extent are your actions and words a cover-up for what is in your heart? That's good. Blessed are the pure in heart. What's going on inside of us? Are we, are we, are we faking people out? Are we, just, are we faking ourselves out? What's going on in our private thought lives? What's going on in our fantasy world? What's going on when our mind slips into neutral? What's going on inside? Let's not ignore this private world. Let's invite God into it. God, blessed are the pure in heart. Come on. Come purify me. Come purify me. Come purify my heart. It's all about his grace. Come on, Lord. Do a work in me. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This past Tuesday at our ethos leadership training, for those of you who don't know what that is, our, we have these ethos communities, kind of like small groups, but we train the leaders. And this past Tuesday, we pretty much took it seemed like just two hours to train the leaders in dealing with conflict. Training the leaders, uh, equipping them to equip you to deal with conflict in your personal world, in, at your work world, at your school, and how to not run away from conflict but in, engage in it from maybe you're having a, a spat with your roommate all the way to maybe you're considering uh, suing another Christian or another Christian is suing you. We want to find ways where we can play the peacemaker And the reason why we want to play the peacemaker is because our Father is the peacemaker. And we want to reflect His image. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So, like Father, like Son. 
Do you remember before you were a believer that you were in rebellion against God? You were set against him? You were at an enemy, uh, hostile to him? And while you were still in sin, Christ died for you. Isn't that amazing? Like, while you're still hostile, God intervenes. And he calls out and brings you to him. He is the ultimate peacemaker. And so, in imitation of our Father, we set out to bring peace within conflict. Because naturally, within conflict, we have two responses. We either want to run away. Some of you have that tendency where you want to flee conflict. Or you want to fight. You get aggressive in conflict. But the way of the Christian is the gospel. Our Father has intervened through Jesus. And by his grace, we now intervene and we face conflict head on by grace and become peacemakers. And then check out the last one there. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is talking about persecution that comes our way because we're followers of Christ. I don't know if any of you got an email this morning from one of our missionaries, but I got an email this morning saying that um, some believers... Uh, that are friends of his, are in jail in the certain country that he's in. And Jesus would be speaking to them and saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For those who are persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ, there is an affirmation. There is a well-pleased by the Father. And it will happen as we set to follow Christ in this world. There will be persecution. There will be opposition. As you seek out to bring peace, there'll be pushback. As you seek out to show mercy, there'll be pushback. And Jesus speaks to us and says, you are blessed. You are affirmed. I am pleased with you. You are in the kingdom. Characteristics of those in the kingdom is that you will be persecuted. But take heart. Though the world hates you, I am for you, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. See, all these Beatitudes are meant to be an encouragement for those who are in a fallen world, trying to make sense of how do we follow Christ when the whole world is against us. God keeps reminding us, you're blessed if you mourn. You're blessed for those of you who are poor in spirit. Be encouraged. You're blessed those of you who are attempting to make peace. Those you are setting out to show mercy, you're blessed under the reign of God in Christ. Now, one of the thoughts that has hit me in studying this and seeing that in these Beatitudes, God is describing the blessed life, the life of meaning and the life of purpose, and it's, come, it's almost like a significant life of faith. And one of the things that has really hit me since I've, I've come back from Africa is how much of what we do is very, very trivial. Like I get back from Africa like on a Friday night and Saturday and Sunday pass and then on Monday I go to the movies with my children. You know, I'm like jet lag. I'm just hanging out there at the movies and we're going to the uh, movie and the movie we went to go see is this movie called Gulliver's Travels with Jack Black in it. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dogging him but as I'm watching this movie and I just got through, with all the things I just got through seeing in Ethiopia. And I'm listening to this movie and the jokes and just kind of being in the theater. I thought to myself, this is so trivial. This is, this is so trivial. This is so pointless. 
What, what a contrast here. And then I started thinking more about my life, and I thought to myself, so much of what I do is just trivial and, and kind of pointless. And you know what? You do it too. It's kind of just part of your culture. You're like, here, come engage in something that means nothing. But, but here's the switch. This is the first time it's ever switched to me. It, it's the first time I've ever felt this switch when I felt that this is pointless and trivial. I didn't feel guilty. It's like one of the first times. I didn't feel guilty. And, and I'm, I'm going to call you here this morning. Don't feel guilty with all your trivial pursuits, all right? So, don't, so let's get rid of guilt. So those of you who are sitting there going, oh, goodness gracious, I'm so trivial. Don't feel guilty. But here's the offer. The offer is this abundant life of living in the kingdom, of setting out and showing mercy, seeking peace, of being broken over your sin. There is this abundant life that is, that is offered to us. And I kind of made this determination, you know, by God's grace, that while I'm here on this earth, and it's not going to be much longer, our lives are like this. While I'm here on this earth, I want to live in the kingdom as much as I possibly can. I want to live under the reign of Christ as much as I possibly can. By his grace, by his Holy Spirit, I want to flee from trivial things. And when my sin is pointed out to me, I want to mourn over it. I want to mourn over the sin in the world. I want to receive the comfort of Christ. I want to move out and show as much mercy as I possibly can, not because I'm trying to earn my way to heaven. It's because God has poured out so much mercy upon me. And I want to seek to be a peacemaker for those who are not reconciled to God. I want to go and I want to tell them about Jesus. And if they cuss me out, I'll say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Don't you just want to live in the kingdom as much as you possibly can on this earth? Not because of guilt, but because of joy, because of satisfaction, because soon we're going to be reigning with our king. So don't let this, oh, I'm so convicted. This, I'm just, just, I'm convicted. No, like this. Joy is offered to you. Abundance is offered to you. Living in the kingdom. Let's, let's turn away from these guilt motivations and be motivated by love and all that we can pursue in Christ by his grace. So let's turn away from that which is trivial. Pursue that which is lasting. What has a meaning under the reign of God in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that we would all be done with, with, with guilt motivation and have the privilege to, to live under the reign of our loving Father and our humble King. And Lord, if there is sin in our life, yes, Lord, bring conviction for those who, who are consistently pushing back against you. Bring them the comfort that comes through repentance and forgiveness. And Lord, where there, where there is such mourning over pain in their life, bring comfort. And may we hunger and thirst to do your will and find complete and absolute satisfaction in you, seeing you, walking with you, living under your blessed reign. You are a great king. 
praise you for doing such a great work within us to bring us into your kingdom. And may we be compelled to move forward and closer to the Father's heart by your love. In Jesus' name, amen.